Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing really well because I went to New York City last weekend and I saw 12 films in four days, most of them at the New York Film Festival. I won't go into great detail about everything I saw because hopefully we'll review some of them later when they come out in wider theatrical release or streaming. But uh, I'll say I saw The Tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen's black and white adaptation of the uh, Shakespeare play starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, and all three of them were there in person. I saw Benedetta, the lesbian nun film by Paul Verhoeven, which had people protesting outside. That made me very happy. And the best one I saw of all the films was The Souvenir Part Two, Joanna Hogg's second film uh, from her first one that came out in 2019. That Autobiographical. One- Yeah, very, very good. So those were the three best ones I saw, but we can review some of them uh, later when you've seen some of them. Yeah, it's good to know that we have good stuff to look forward to because I think all of those will be released by the end of this year, which is just going to be jam-packed with a whole bunch of good stuff. Um, But we're still in uh, sort of post-September mode before we get the Oscar bait, and we've got three movies to discuss that have been released in the last month. Um, And we are going to start with Malignant, directed by James Wan, who's the creator of the Saw and Insidious franchises, who also directed Aquaman. Um, This movie stars Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. And it is about a woman who, after a traumatic incident, begins to see visions of people being murdered, only to realize that the murders are actually happening. It was released September 10th in theaters as well as on HBO Max. It's available on HBO Max until October 10th. It has a Metacritic score of 51 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 76. Uh, as the resident horror fan, Jonathan, I that you should go first with this one. Uh, Malignant. You saw it in theaters, I assume, or did you see it on HBO Max? Yes, I saw it in theaters, but I was the only person in the theater. <laughs> not, not exactly what you want for a horror movie. No, and this is the type of movie you really want to see with a crowd. Mm -hmm. I admire the audacity and the go-for-broke, bonkers quality of Malignant. I just thought it was kind of disappointing after it was all done because I just thought it was kind of silly. And I thought that it was pretty gripping and engrossing for a while, I wasn't ever really bored with the film, but I think it goes on too long. It's about an hour and 50 minutes long. And we don't, we're not going to give away spoilers, but I'll say that where the film goes, I don't mind where it goes. I just think that it doesn't earn where it goes and it just gets silly. And I feel like it gets too big and almost like an action film. And I wanted Mm -hmm. it to be more internal and for what happens to have some kind of metaphor or some kind of connection back to the characters that has more meaning. And I just thought it kind of turned into this big, loud, violent filled action spectacle when I wish that it had been a little bit more like a David Cronenberg. It had a more kind of internal body horror. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt really mixed about it. I, I, I don't regret seeing it. Um, and it kept my attention. I wasn't bored by it, but 
I wish that it had been a little not, I, you know, I, I admire that it's so kind of outrageous and that it gets very gruesome towards the end, but I wish it had been less action packed and been more body horror, like a David Cronenberg film and been more gruesome and visceral than just kind of wham, bam, splatter and kind of big over the top violence and gore. So well, it's supposed to me. be a horror movie. Did you think it was scary? No, not at all. Yeah, I didn't really find it scary either. There might have been like one part I jumped at. Um, but no, it didn't even really get you on the sort of body horror where you feel like kind of like uh, kind of grossed out. It wasn't even really that. So it definitely, especially near the end, felt a lot more like an action movie than a horror movie, which I think it kind of was supposed to. I think I saw an article somewhere about how this is like the return of the action horror genre, um, which <laughs> I guess is okay. It's not like a terrible movie. And I mean, you mentioned its silliness. Do you think it its silliness is like effective in terms of it being like a horror comedy or do you think it takes away from what it could have been? See, I don't think I would consider this a horror comedy. Yeah. I think that it's a horror film that is so bonkers that it becomes funny, but I don't, and it knows what it is to a certain degree, but I feel like it would have, you know, there, there isn't a Sam Raimi or a Brian De Palma helming it. Like James Wan yeah. is not as talented as, uh, you know, them or even uh, Edgar Wright, where there's, you know, there is a flashiness to the filmmaking, but there, you know, it, there isn't this incredible directorial vision and craft to justify that it just gets silly and a bunch of kind of crazy action is happening. And, you know, like the Evil Dead movies have this really outrageous stuff happening, but there's such a strong vision behind it. And there's such good filmmaking technique and playing with the form of cinema and I feel like Malignant is just kind of slapdash and it just turns into there's and I also think there's too much CGI I yeah. wish that there had been more practical effects when she's going around causing a bunch of mayhem it just feels like a video game almost and I yeah. wanted it to be more of a visceral horror film and you know the sort of main villain like the design of it probably wasn't up to what it could have been but also uh in a lot of ways, it is like extremely derivative. You mentioned Sam Raimi in, in a lot of his movies I can think of, even the Spider-Man ones, you get like the point of view from uh, not necessarily even like the nemesis, but like in Spider-Man 2, you get it from one of the tentacles. And it does that in Doc one of the Doc. early scenes. Uh, yeah, Doc <laughs> in one of the early scenes, sort of like chasing the protagonist, you get it from like the POV of the, you know, the evil character. Um so, I mean, you can definitely sort of, I wouldn't say it's ripping it off. Maybe it's like winkingly acknowledging these influences, but it definitely doesn't, you know, it's not like a super original or even like, I don't know what James Wan's like sort of directorial trademark even is. Um, I guess, you know, just sort of the horror genre in general. But at the beginning, there were a lot of like really sort of flashy camera movements. There was one where it did like sort of an overhead where you could see like, different rooms in the house and like she comes up on the second floor and it you know, goes back to the right so right there was but a lot brian of flash de palma, brian de palma did that in not even a horror film but one of his lesser movies a comedy called get to know your rabbit that starred uh, -huh. uh one of the smothers brothers and orson wells <laughs> uh but i mean tarantino did it in kill bill volume one i mean yeah. it's 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 flashy but it doesn't really have enough distinctive style to 
overcome it just me pointing at it and going this is just silly like and yeah. it's not it's not original i wouldn't say it's and, bad though like it's no. not like unwatchable it's like three out of five for me yeah and, just, you know, it, it might be a good, fun sort of October horror movie to put on if you if you don't want to be really scared by like an actual real horror movie, but you kind of want the yeah. feel of watching a horror movie. But it is very legitimately gruesome and bloody. Oh, bloody. yeah. I mean, it's like a hard R rating. Um, right. <laughs> but. I will say that, um, you know, like I said, the movie is too long. I feel like like why in the new Venom we were saying before we recorded is not 90 minutes like why couldn't malignant have been 85 minutes long yeah it would have been better there's so many movies that would be better 30 minutes or yeah. 20 minutes even shorter you know this movie like the movie being so silly it's like another problem i had with it in general is that there's just too many plot mechanics like chugging along it's like this is silly just like <laughs> yeah. go with the style and like just take and the they all premise. don't even actually end up being super relevant by the end of it in a lot of the cases and well also like annabelle wallace the the lead actor um horror movies i feel like are a good opportunity for someone to be like in every scene of a movie i remember the jessica chastain movie was it mother where she's in like literally every scene of that mama mama that's yeah (laughs) Yeah. there's okay so there's mother with jennifer lawrence director there's ma with octavia spencer yes and hers was mama right yes mama Um, but I don't know. Like I don't know if she really carried the movie as effectively as, um, as could have been by the lead character. And I imagine she probably wasn't the first choice. But this this is not right. This is not really nice to say. But she's one of those actresses that's like, oh, that's not this actress. Like there's actors <laughs> yeah. like the, the woman, the horror movie Ready or Not, which we yes. saw. Yeah, it's like she, oh, she's, she's a, not Margot Robbie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like this actor, you know, the, there's the actor that's not Tom Hardy. There's, yes, who yeah, looks exactly like him, yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, the, I think she's not bad in the film, but no. it's just... Uh, and she wasn't great either, though. It was sort of just like an actor, you know, playing a role. Yeah, I, I mean, I was hearing some other review where they said that this is the type of movie where James Wan did this big, giant, you know, comic book movie, Aquaman, mm-hmm. and he's directing the sequel. And yes. he was like, okay, in between this, you're going to give me a blank check to make a batshit crazy horror movie. They're going to let me do what I want because I made you these two big Aquaman movies. And yeah. they're probably like, okay, we'll let you do it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just, it's like, I guess part of the problem too is I'm a really big horror fan and I've seen really weird stuff, David Cronenberg and David Lynch. And yes, Malignant is weird and kind of bonkers, but it's not it's like popcorn weird. weird. Yeah. It's like the way that it's dipping your I, toe into the weirdness, not diving in. <laughs> it's like the way that I feel like Christopher Nolan has never been as audacious and weird and dreamlike as I would like him to be. Like I see a film like Inception and people say, oh, this is the weirdest movie ever made. I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen a David Lynch movie then. Yeah. I mean, they, like I remember once a critic said that he wishes that Christopher Nolan would let his freak flag fly more. <laughs> yeah. And that you feel like, and I don't feel like James Wan is like being, you know, collared up, buttoned up. But I also feel like he is making a movie to please audiences and make them shriek and giggle. But it, it I wish that it had been more, like we said, it's a little very more violent. hardcore. 
more gruesome like it's yeah. it's like over the top violent like arms get snapped and people are like but it's more people like get impaled kind of, by things yeah but i wish that it had been more visceral and body related because the we're yeah. not going to give it away but what is happening in the film is it's very very body <laughs> yeah but it but it just turns into this kind of silly video game action movie and i yeah. wish it had been more horror body related but also it's sort of weird that it because the sort of like nefarious thing was so internal that like the sort of ultimate message at the end was like her and her sister which i thought was kind of weird i thought it was going to be like her you know coming to terms with something inside herself which is not what actually happened so i don't know it, it didn't it, make the best use it could have of this sort of thing that's happening in it it's like it has this oh my gosh this is what's happening and then she just runs around and causes a bunch of mayhem and there isn't really a good use. There's not a good metaphor. There's not no. a really interest. I mean, there kind of is a explanation of like, Oh, I'm going to be, but it, it's not satisfactory. It's no, just... no. I think, I think the first 45 minutes are the strongest. The parts where we like uh, see her having these visions of murders, I think are, are pretty cool. But as soon as those murders stop, it, it loses it a little bit for me. Yeah, and I just think that even the her seeing the murders, it's like it's still just kind of convoluted and silly. Like it's kind of <laughs> yes. it's kind of cool, but it's not. There's still not enough, you know, directorial vision to yeah. make it as kind of gripping as you would want it to be. As as visionary as I would want it to be. It's just kind of, you know, there. Like I it's guess it's just kind of like, oh, that's cool. That's neat. Yeah, but it's not like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I got to tell you about this. This was crazy. Yeah, it's like even the original Evil Dead movies that are so low budget, they're so original and audacious, and they're just incredible set pieces. And this movie, you kind of go, oh, that's kind of cool. Or, yeah. oh, you know, the idea is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd give it three out of five. Yeah, I, I think like two and a half, three is definitely what it is. Um, you know, if you have HBO Max and you have nothing else to watch, it's October maybe put malignant on i don't think you'll hate it <laughs> um the next one is also an hbo max movie uh it is cry macho directed by clint eastwood the director of the mule and richard joel <laughs> uh starring clint eastwood and dwight yoakam it is about a former rodeo star who was hired to bring his former employer's son up to texas from mexico um it came out uh september 17th 2021 on HBO Max and in theaters. So it'll be on HBO Max until October 17th, the way they're doing it, where it's a month on HBO Max. Um, Metacritic score of 59 and a Rotten Tomato score of 58. I thought that was kind of <laughs> interesting. You'd hardly ever see the Metacritic and the Rotten Tomatoes like basically be the same score. Because um, the malignant one is so drastically different, like 26 points different. Yeah, like exactly. Points. Yeah. yeah. Usually the Rotten Tomatoes will be higher because it's basically just a watch it or, or don't nay. yeah, yeah. and metacritic up, is actually like i'll give it a score metacritic's um, always better to judge but also on rotten tomatoes it's better to click and see what the actual rating out of 10 is that yes. can be quite different it's yes. like the i remember the first avengers film has like a 91 on rotten tomatoes but has a 69 on metacritic mm -hmm. that's a difference you know yeah so crime macho um I guess it's kind of similar to the mule and sort of it plays on Clint Eastwood being older and it sort of plays on having the audience have seen his movies when he's younger and sort of acknowledging the difference is kind of like the reason this movie exists. 
Although I would, I would he was argue, trying to make it for a really long time. So right, Al Ruddy produced this film. Who he's also really old, and they it's based on a novel. And it's yes. something I don't really know why they haven't gotten it made before now. I mean, it's you know, it, you can imagine Clint Eastwood could have gotten most projects greenlit, especially one that doesn't seem super high budget like this one. Right, but I would argue that with the Mule, that's based on a true story, and the yes. guy was about ninety. And <laughs> that's uh, true. <laughs> and even Gran Torino, which is about 12, 13 years ago now, that yes. he is playing an older guy in Cry Macho. Yes, he's an older man, but he's t- Clint Eastwood's perfect for the role at least 15 years ago yes. he's just too old to play this role now and i think especially with the love interest it's just yeah that, that was a bit because she it was an older love interest but you know she was like 50 something like it's not like she was 90 <laughs> right and you know you wouldn't think that clint eastwood is in his early 90s but he definitely doesn't look like he's in his early 70s which is what the character should at yes least no he like legitimately looks like frail and like when he speaks his voice even sounds different uh than it used to right and i love clint eastwood you know i don't always love his politics but i he is one of those directors every new movie he has i go to see it i mean this was the um you know about the 13th or 14th film i had seen of his in a theater i saw million dollar baby i didn't see the letters from iwo jima uh you know thanks for fathers yeah but ever since then I've seen all like I've seen like his last 12 films in a row or last Changeling, Gran Torino. Right. I've seen all of them. I, I, I never saw Edgar or J. Edgar. Apparently right. that was really bad. Well, what's interesting is that he, you know, he's directed over 40 films now. He's not every year, but his first film as a director, Play Misty for me, came out 50 years ago this year, 1971. And he has over 40 films. So what's interesting is that but before uh Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima hardly any of his movies were based on true stories but after those almost all of them are mm-hmm. you know if you look at he did 1517 to paris yeah well before uh before uh flags of our fathers there's one bird and there's one where he's playing john houston basically uh, about the making of the african queen but i i that he really didn't do very you know they're mostly genre movies you know westerns action films thrillers but almost every film he's done you know from flags our fathers you know jay edgar even jersey boys american sniper the yeah. mule richard jewell changeling invictus uh you know the only ones i think he's done are uh cry macho and that one is even a period piece though it's not based on true story yeah. but it is a period piece and there's no reason for it to be a period piece though no and also it's like a it's very much in the realism sort of it's you know formalist versus realist it definitely leans realist so it's it's you know it's not not that it's based on real events but it's not like it's so out there that it couldn't have happened um right but i think that we both agree that the film is creaky and has many faults but when it's not really going through its plot and the part where he's just hanging out in town with his love interest and he's teaching the young uh, boy how to ride a horse and stuff like that it's a really sweet movie and it's just even though eastwood's really kind of too old to play the character he's it's there's so much his persona carries the movie so much no and it's not like he gives a bad performance like actually like some of his line deliveries like he can be very funny in like a few of his deliveries it's just he's so old that you can't help but notice 
just how old he is. And yeah, maybe this I, would I, have been a better one for him to to direct someone else in. But then part of the whole purpose of the movie is playing on Clint Eastwood's on-screen persona, which is, you know, Dirty Harry and Outlaw Josie Wales and stuff like that. Maybe they should have done like the Irishman. They should have DH Clint Eastwood. <laughs> But uh, I mean, it's like I was saying uh, before that the John Waters, I think, once commented on the later Three Stooges films, the ones where they were making feature films like Snow White and the Three Stooges, where when they were, you know, in their 60s and they were slapping each other and like falling down, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're really going to hurt themselves. Like when Eastwood is like, like when he's going to get on a horse, you're like. Oh, can he make it? Like, is he oh my gonna, god, like, there's a scene where he like tames a wild horse, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> he's gonna die. <laughs> I know it's like back in the day, you know, he could like take on a you know an army of bad guys and shoot them and you know kick their ass. But in this movie, it's like, is he gonna like fall down just walking down the road? It's like, yeah. I mean, it, it's I'm not trying to be mean and ageist, but it's just that he he does. I mean, even in the last like seven or eight years you know, he has aged quite a bit. Yes. You know, I mean, his... even compared to The Mule, which came out like only a few years ago, he did not yeah. seem 91. He yeah. seemed, you know, like maybe mid to late 70s. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I I, really liked The Mule. I was shocked. No, me too. I liked The Mule. And like, I, was, I was actually kind of shocked by how many people seemed to think it was like terrible, um, which... I love that Cayuta Cinema put, put it in their top 10 that year. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> But um, yeah, the crime macho there, some of the faults with it, besides the lead actor being too old for the role, is yeah. that I think some of the supporting performances are kind of weak. Yes. Uh, Eastwood is known for doing one or two takes and there's scenes where you're like, this feels like a rehearsal. This yeah. doesn't feel fleshed out. This feels very much the like sort of just... main henchman of Dwight Yoakam's wife definitely felt like that in some of the scenes. <laughs> Right. And I just feel like there are parts of it that feel like a really old man directed it who didn't want to rush, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he's just rushing through, you know, trying to get the shots done. It just feels, uh, you know, but then there's, but it's ironic though, because the scenes where it doesn't feel rushed, where it's just people hanging out, where not much is really happening. Those are the best scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. No, and he actually has pretty good chemistry. I mean, two things in movies that usually put me off are child actors and animal companions. But uh, (laughs) this movie actually, you know, I don't hate either of those. So that in itself is an achievement. And he actually has pretty good chemistry with uh, the uh, one who plays Dwight Yoakam's son, um, whose character's name I can't remember. Um, But I think they actually work pretty well together. So, and I had seen some reviews that like talk about how terrible uh, that, young actors performances but i you know i didn't think it was terrible and i think in a lot of situations but you need to sort of also judge it for like the context of the character you know maybe he feels awkward so maybe you can't judge like the performance being a little off too harshly because this is sort of a weird scenario where maybe he would be sort of performative at times um yeah he so does I thought seem it like a worked. kid. He, he does kind of seem like a kid actor. A lot of his line deliveries. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> but yeah. I think it being a little performative is kind of works because the character is trying to put up this sort of like macho front. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's totally ineffective. And maybe they weren't even going for that at all. Maybe it's a coincidence, but I think it kind of worked. Um, so I'd give this one three and a half out of five. Yeah, I think this is very similar to Malignant. It's like, I, you know, 
I, well, I wasn't. They're, they're no, 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 no. In terms of like, I was never like riveted by Crime Macho, but I was also never bored. And there were times in it where I thought like, oh, this is pretty good. I like seeing Clint Eastwood in a movie because, you know, I've seen, you know, I don't know, dozens of his movies. So the fact that a new one came out, I appreciated that. And, you know, it, it felt very Clint Eastwood, like thematically, sort of stylistically, it very much felt like one of his films. So, um, you like know, I enjoyed a lot that. Of his, a lot of his films are about men looking at their masculinity and looking at... Especially a lot past. of the ones he's directed, like from yeah. Unforgiven sort of on, it, it very much is sort of like about being a performative sort of like alpha male and how sort of... Uh, well... The, and the title of I, I read the title two different ways cry macho so the young uh boy is like early in the movie like crying like he's crying macho in the sense that he's crying out he's like, projecting oh, yeah. yeah yeah he's he's saying oh i'm macho i'm macho or you know i need to be and then partway through the movie eastwood's character does cry and so uh you know it's like the macho man is crying so it's kind of a uh, look at what does it mean to be a man and yeah. you know what do you you know how do you look back at your life uh but um well it's like yeah. a juxtaposition because macho you don't associate with crying um so it's just you know the two words sort of make a <laughs> dialectic as the marxist would say yeah which eastwood probably would not like you <laughs> no, it's from, maybe <laughs> he probably has never read marx yeah. um uh, so the third one we're doing, uh, not available on HBO Max, but it just became available on on demand, I think, Thursday. Um, it came out September 10th in theaters. It is The Card Counter, written and directed by Paul Schrader, uh, who did First Reformed a few years ago, writer of Taxi Driver, the Yakuza, Hardcore, uh, Last in Patient of Christ, I think. Um, yeah, writer of that. Starring Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. It is about an ex-con who uses his cards, card counting skills that he picked up in prison to make a living going from casino to casino until he meets a young man who knows something about his past. And they sort of join up and it becomes kind of a road movie for a little bit. Um, it came out September 2nd at the Venice Film Festival, was released wide. September 10th in theaters only just became available on demand a Metacritic score of 78 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 87 um I just watched this movie yesterday I watched it on demand did you see this one in the theaters yes I did and uh, were, the, were you the only one there um I went with a friend to see it I can't even remember if there was anyone else in the theater but uh it it's a very interior film almost yes. every film very much that... a character study Right. Oscar Isaac, after yes. being in an X-Men film in Star Wars, said, I want to do a character study. <laughs> and uh, it's we, it's very much a Paul Schrader film. Uh, yes. It would be good if you have seen Taxi Driver and First Reformed. You've seen some of his previous films uh, because it is about a male character struggling with his past. In a and, sort of fallen world. Right. And sort of navigating that. And is there a morality left in this fallen world? Right. We don't want to give away too much, but yes. he went into the movie not even knowing that uh, part of his past is dealing with Abu Ghraib. Yes. And uh, there's some really... Uh, and the fallout it, from that. Yeah. There's not like 
big long extinguished extended sequences of torture but there you do get some pretty um intense flashbacks where there's really no and you get that thing that you get in like a lot of oliver stone movies where it like briefly goes into sort of like documentary style and just basically like fills you in on like they also kind of do that with the gambling at the beginning they like talk about like blackjack does this and it's you against the house and then it's like poker is like this and sports betting is like this so there was a lot of like sort of explanation of the world well it's it reminds me one of uh schrader's favorite filmmakers is robert Bresson, and the way they talk about card counting and explaining poker reminded me of like pickpocket where Mm -hmm. there's this very kind of mathematical almost this uh, beat by beat explanation uh, and what's cool is that he doesn't talk down to the audience it's it's also in a weird way kind of reminded me of um, not stylistically but uh, in the big short where they would explain some uh-huh. of the financial this stuff. is what That's, shorting a stock is and stuff like that yeah. but that that does it in a very flashy way where they have celebrities explain stuff in these mm-hmm. set pieces but in this one it's like mainly Oscar just Isaac Oscar Isaac narration stuff. yeah right where it's one of those things where you could not afterwards necessarily stop and like, okay, I know how to play poker now, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's, uh, it's, it makes it's you, like, it makes you feel like you know more about the world than you did before you started watching. Right. It. It's like a, also a film like Moneyball where it's like, you don't understand exactly what's going on, but it makes you have a better understanding and you understand that the characters really know what they're talking yes. about. Yes. You're like, this person is an expert. Right. And, and they, you don't just assume that they sort of show you like how he is an expert, obviously right. not you know, like f- it's totally thoroughly, but I like, I like those parts of it at the beginning, sort of it's introducing like, you yeah. to the gambling world. It's like quotidian almost like you're seeing like how they go about their, you know, yes. what you so occupy? the beginning is very much just like, this is this guy and this is his life. And we're going to sort of like show you how he's living his life. And then it sort of gets, turned over a little bit like half an hour into it and we get to sort of fall out from that the rest of the way is right and um i yeah i thought the performances were strong um you thought that tiffany haddish was not bad in the role but thought the role itself was kind of yeah uh, the, i mean i wouldn't say she was like miscast but there wasn't a lot for her to do um and it was for a while you couldn't even really understand why her character was there and then that becomes a little clearer as it goes on but at the end, the emotional connection, I felt you were supposed to sort of feel between these two characters, I did not feel. So I didn't think it was especially effective in, in that relationship. Um, I felt the relationship with him and Ty Sheridan's character was stronger. Yes, definitely. I, I thought it explored that in a much more interesting way. And it really, it really, it's weird to think of Oscar Isaac sort of playing like, not old men, but, you know, sort of like seasoned you know peppered beard because he doesn't seem that old but when you put him with someone like ty sheridan who's like extremely fresh face and very early 20s you get a sort of it brings out oscar isaac's sort of world wariness and i thought they played off each other really well right because i mean if you were in you know dealing with abu grade you know it's long enough ago that yeah you have some and stuff going through stuff like that would age you yes yeah no doubt about it you know we talked about uh how you know, people, you know, like we mentioned, uh, Willem Dafoe's in the film, he played uh, Vincent Van Gogh, and he was like much older than Vincent Van Gogh ever lived to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes world experience 
ages you more than you actually are numerically yes. like you may be you know i don't know oscar isaac i don't think he's even 40 yet no, I mean, that's what i was like thinking i was like what is he like 35 yeah but um but you know he uh he had you know he's still fresh faced to a certain degree no i mean the- and he's playing timothy chalamet's dad in dune coming out soon so he's actually like really starting to lean into these older characters how old is he? I mean, it's like if Timothy Chalamet, he's like, he's like 25. He, yeah. I, I, I don't know. But I, no, it's I, like a bit of Sean Connery playing Harrison Ford's dad at the last first well, And then again, though, Timothy Chalamet for like- He looks very seven, young. Seven years, he's looked like he's been 17. 16. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, Ty Sheridan, originally, I think the role was going to go to Shia LaBeouf. And I think- Oh, he seems of, much older than Ty Sheridan. That would have been a bit different. Yeah, but the, um, I think people best know Ty Sheridan uh, from being in the Tree Ready of Life. Ready Player One. Yeah, he's in the Tree of Life. He's one of the kids. I think more people would know from Ready Player One. <laughs> okay, I'll, let's say that probably his most acclaimed film is Tree of Life. This. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, he's not exactly like a super charismatic actor. Um, he's kind of like Miles Teller. He's kinda yeah, like, kind of. But I think he was effective in this role playing like a sort of confused kind of aimless um you know thinks he knows more about the world than he really does kind of character i thought i thought that him going with oscar isaac whose character is like um you know he's been in a prison and he like sort of talks about how he didn't expect to be the kind of person who would thrive in a prison lifestyle and then you sort of see that he's sort of carried that lifestyle back into the real world and everything is very regimented and he does everything alone so I, I thought that that sort of character relation was really good between those two. Um, but it, I mean, it, this was a pretty intense movie. I mean, if, if anyone is familiar with Paul Schrader's work, you would expect that going into one of his movies. First Reformed is not exactly like the, the cheeriest or most rewatchable of movies. And the card counter is very much along those sort of similar lines. Um, but I, I saw thought it was very good. three times, but yeah. Really? <laughs> you yeah. hardly those ever are... rewatch movies. I saw it twice in a theater and then I showed it in a film class, but I do think that, uh, you know, he, he's a pretty (laughs) pessimistic. He deals with very heavy things. Right. Yeah. And he has for, you know, you know, since taxi driver, since the beginning of his career, basically. Yeah. Right. And, um, he's, he's 75 now. I mean, he's not as old as Eastwood, but he, uh, but he's, he he sort of had time in like the wilderness. It seems like, like before first reformed, he was making like that Lindsay Lohan, yeah movie and stuff like that so it seems like i mean his last two movies have been much more high profile than what he was making before that with the- right i think the last movie that kind of really got you know wide critical acclaim was affliction which nick nolte was in and james coburn won oscar for best supporting actor when was that and, uh, like the 90s that was like like right around 2099 and then he did autofocus which he only directed which got uh, quite good reviews along greg kinnear based on uh-huh. bob crane from Hogan's heroes and his uh-huh. weird personal life but um but yeah I mean he uh I've actually only seen three films he's directed now I've seen uh first reform the card counter and one of his best reviewed films Mishima life in four chapters which is you've never a, seen hardcore no I've never seen oh, wow. that or blue collar or his remake of cat people mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I want to catch up I've seen all four films he's written that Scorsese says he's directed. made bringing out the dead yeah, and we should mention that Scorsese is a, uh, ex- I don't know exactly, executive producer. No, he's or... like the second name you see. It's like presented by Martin Scorsese right. at the opening yeah. credits. 
that in the souvenir in souvenir part two uh su- no but uh, talking to martin scorsese this very much feels like it's like a 70s movie even the opening credits feel very sort of old school right um, it's like if it wasn't dealing with abu great it would have yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly you would have said like deer hunter flashbacks yeah. to the russian roulette you <laughs> yes know? uh but yeah it's it's um i mean he's talked in interviews about how it's harder to get movies made like first reform in the card count. Oh, I can imagine uh, today because back in the seventies, you would have films with political content and people like actively wanted to go oh, see yeah. films like, like parallax view. Yeah. yeah and the, all the president's men and coming home. And, you know, that nowadays people, you know, are interested in comic book movies and video games and manga or escape but, from reality than sort of commenting yeah. on it. Yeah. I remember <clears throat> Simon Pegg in an interview said that there's this, cultures become so infantilized that people are not wanting to ask questions about, you know, the Iraq war and climate change. They want to know like who the Hulk's going to fight. In the movie. <laughs> yes. Like, which is very much not Paul Schrader's movies. Right. Considering yeah. his last one was like obsessed with climate change. <clears throat> and right. this one is very much about who is responsible for the worst actions uh, that can happen in a war. And, and can you ever, forgive yourself it's like he's yeah he feels i think that he maybe can never personally uh accept or get over what happened but perhaps he can help others like mm-hmm. the ty sheridan character yeah that's have. sort of like the main moral sort of not dilemma but that's what occupies most of the movie it's sort of this yeah. attempt to redeem somebody else and therefore bring a certain sort of meaning to his own right. life so um, I think that uh, there are a little, there are some aspects of the card counter, and I don't know how much of it maybe was that it was shut down because of COVID partway through and they had to come back, but like, not nearly as much as Cry Macho, but I do feel that there are some scenes that feel a little bit, um, you know, creaky a little bit. They didn't quite, they feel a little bit overwritten or they feel a little bit like the performances are not. You know, no, I thought that was true, especially the World Series of Poker scenes. I feel like they didn't quite get those as the way that I mean. I mean, maybe he envisioned them like that, but it yeah. it it seemed a bit incongruous with the rest of the movie. But um, I and I, I I first reformed was my favorite film of 2018. So I I I wouldn't say this film was like a disappointment, but it, I don't think yeah. it's nearly as good as that one. But uh, yeah. of the films, I would say I'd give Malignant. You know, if I'm generous, I'd give it three out of five. Cry Macho, three and a half. I'd give the card counter four out of five. Yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly where I would be on it. I think the card counter, I thought, was the best out of those three. Um, but I didn't think any of them were bad. Um, all, I think, definitely watchable. And I would, um, obviously, I would, I, would, not- I would recommend the count the card counter to fewer people than I would recommend the other two probably. Well, um, I would not recommend Malignant to someone who did not really like horror films in general. Like you don't, but like, no, I, but don't I, think, I think it actually more appeals to people who don't watch a lot of horror because I disagree. I think, think that's so? pretty, it's, 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 it's so gruesome that, and like violent that I think that. Yeah. Th- I'd say older people is like people that are older than us generally might be put off like, by it. Unless they were like horror films to begin with. No, that's probably fair. But I think for a younger audience who we've obviously been exposed to violence in movies and video games and TV our entire lives. So it might feel pretty tame to some people. Right. Like, I mean, the card counter to me is like actually more disturbing. Oh, definitely. Yes. Than Malignant. Because Malignant's just like, I mean, I don't know. 
if I'd classify it as a fantasy film, but it is like yes it's like totally ridiculous right and the the card counter is like very much rooted it's yeah it's really putting your face up to how bad reality can really be and you don't really see like up close like a lot of violence but there's like no it's it's and it's more about like how oscar isaac and ty sheridan's characters like how it has affected their lives and how you know they're sort of stunted by even if it didn't the Ty Sheridan character, even if it didn't specifically happen to him, it's influenced his life in such a, you know, a way that, cha- you know, totally changed it. Like, there's no coming back from it. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a lot more in- intense. And I wouldn't say it's disturbing, but um, it's hard to watch at some it's, parts. It's psychologically um, rich it, and... Yeah, it makes you think about stuff that you don't normally think about, but it's not like it's something you can't face. It's not like, you know, turn it off. Like I can't watch this. Um, right. Uh, yeah. When's the last time I've thought about Abu Ghraib? <laughs> yeah. Not very often. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. I, like you said, I didn't know that that was going to happen. So when it went to that and they actually used a very interesting um, camera, which I don't know what that camera would normally even be used for. I um, want to say like fisheye lens, but that's not exactly what. No, it, there mean. was one part where it looked normal. Is that when it was like on the corner and you could see both sides that were like ninety degrees from each other, and they both were in focus. So I guess it's for like extreme angles like that. Um, but it uses like it on, just like a normal camera where you're like yeah, moving it, forward and stuff is is yeah. being like warped out to the side. And yeah, it sort it of looks, represented this unreality or not ne- unreality, but this you know sort of super reality. hellish yeah, yeah hellish. it's like this hellish where it's like you're enveloped by like there, like there's all this torture and horribleness going on or like all around you and it's yes. like in your memory of it like it's just like envelops your memory yeah, yeah it's like when you take the iphone and you can like do one of those pictures where you move it around the room it's like seeing it <laughs> yes. all at once but like the ed- it's almost in a weird i mean it's not nearly as much but it's like in no sudden move where the edges were kind of curved yeah you know but it's but this the like, opposite. Like really yeah. yeah, this is like very curved. And no, very so disturbing. I thought that as far as like filmmaking technique, I thought that was the sort of standout. Yeah, um, it's cool that he's 75 or you know, at least when he shot it was about 74. Then he's still playing with yeah. cinema form. Yeah. Yeah. So let's look forward to some of the movies coming out. This yeah, because this is a, a very, very big month. Uh, I don't know if we did our top 10 anticipated movies. I think we might have, but a good deal of them are actually coming out this month. Um so very, I got very to exciting. see uh, uh, one of the ones that uh, is going to come out this. Well, I saw, t- I'll, I saw, I've already seen uh, two films that are coming out this month. I'll, let me just start with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't review them, but to tame the film that won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, this not really a horror film or French first film, movie, uh, right? Is yeah, it French film. Um, it is is wild, audacious uh, film about a woman who basically gets impregnated by a car. That's the basic premise, but that opened uh, this weekend on uh, October first. Uh, won the Palm Door. We can wait. Probably and... not in a ton of theaters, but in your local it's art playing, house. Yeah, it's playing at like art house theaters. But it's playing at a number of the art house theaters. Uh, Neon is releasing it. You know, released Parasite. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, later this month, on the fifteenth, Bergman Island, a film written and directed by Mia Hansen Love. It's a film about two filmmakers who go to Ingmar Bergman's island uh, out to a artist retreat. And the husband played by Tim Roth is having a, 
a talk uh, there, you know, he's being uh, shown, his film is being shown at the island and then his wife is played by Vicky Creeps who is in Phantom Thread and old. And the second half of the film is her telling her pitching the idea for her film that she thinks she might make. And in the recreation of like her memory, you know, her idea, uh, Mia Wyszykowska plays the lead. Huh. Um, so that comes out. I, it was actually the first film I'd ever seen by Mia Hansen Love. Have you seen any of the other movies? Nope. She did one very well-reviewed film a few years ago called Things to Come that had Isabelle Huppert. Um, but um, it's interesting because she was in a relationship for many years. I don't know that they were ever actually married, but with Olivia Asasis, the oh. director of films like uh, Clouds of Silmaria yeah. and Carlos. Um, and I think- Personal Shopper. Yeah, that might've been you know somewhat based on their relationship because there are two filmmakers who were mm -hmm. you know, in a relationship. But so those are two films I've actually seen already that come out in October, Tatain, which is out now and Bergman Island, which comes out October 15th. So what are mm -hmm. some other ones that are coming out? So uh, the big one that was just released yesterday is the, the Sopranos movie, which apparently you said, if you haven't seen the series, it's, it probably isn't worth watching. Um, many I've, just, and I've not seen one. the series. Uh, no, and neither too. have I. Yeah. But uh, people say that it is one where you're just gonna be lost and it won't mean nearly as much if you haven't seen yeah, mm -hmm. so but just, that one is on HBO Max and then uh the, and theaters. <laughs> yes. And then we get the oft delayed. I think it's maybe three times delayed by this point, No Time to Die, the new James Bond film, which seems like it's Daniel Craig's last. Um yeah. which, you know, probably about time. He's you know, older than Sean Connery was when he came back to do Never Say Never Again, which was 10 years after his previous Bond film. So I think he's by far the oldest person to have ever depicted James Bond. But apparently that's like the most emotional James Bond movie we've ever seen, which, you know, it, it will be determined whether emotion is what we look for in a James Bond movie. But apparently it lands as far as that sort of sentimentality and emotion is concerned. And it's actually created a bit of backlash in England already because people are upset that the sort of classic sexist macho James Bond is now a monogamist who cries so well the, we'll see um, if we get the same reaction in America I was just going to say that um, as of right now on Metacritic uh, No Time to Die has a 70 uh, Tatain has a 74 The Many Saints of New York has a 61 hmm. 70 um, sort of where I would expect. I feel like that's the sweet spot of a Bond movie. Uh, from yeah. the critic. And in, uh, uh, Bergman Island has a 79. So uh, the highest of all those. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't have the most knowledge of James Bond as some people I've said. I've only seen Dr. No, the first one, Goldfinger, the third one. And I've seen the four previous Daniel Craig Bond, but I think Casino Royale and Skyfall are two of the I think they're very really good, best. Yeah. yeah, they're two of the best like action franchise movies in the last of the century. I mean, totally. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but this, it's like they've gone from like being really good, not so good, really good, not so good. Like <laughs> Quantum of Solace, which is one of the worst movie titles of all time. Yeah, it's like uh, nonsense words. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm also kind of. Uh, but all, we should mention Weird. the director for this one is Kerry Fukunaga, who did True Detective season one, uh, Sin Nombre. What else has he done? Um, Beasts of No Nation. Beasts of No Nation, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I, the movie is like two hours and 40 something minutes long. I don't know why <laughs> it's that long. 
like I think the longest Bond movie yeah, Endgame ever. was like three hours. I think that's just how long movies are now. That's the response to TV. We're just going to make movies super long. Right. But uh, I, I do want to go see it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. And um, then October 15th, the next week, and we've got the new Ridley Scott film, the first of his two movies coming out this year, who's the 80 plus uh, director who is still sort of adding stuff. He's got two movies now in development that aren't the, even coming out this year. And his two films that are coming out this year have like really stacked casts. Yes. And so this is the last duel with Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. Um, I think the thing of most notes so far in the buildup has been the hairstyles of the main character. I know you're not a big trailer guy, but have you seen the, any of the images from this and the hairstyles? I have managed to see some of the stills, but I've not watched the trailer. Um, the film has a 61 on Metacritic right now. I think it's also not- notable. That it's the first film written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck since Good Will Hunting, along yes. with uh, Nicole Hoffsinger, who mm-hmm. uh, very interesting because she's done these indie comedy dramas like Enough Said and Please Give, and was also Oscar nominated for one of my very favorite films a few years ago, Can You Ever Forgive Me? So those type of movies she is doing this big you know sword and epic medieval epic but yeah it seems like it's sort of a Rashomon style narrative and that I think we get like the perspective I think the central sort of incident is a alleged rape of Jodie Comer's character and we get Matt Damon's version then Adam Driver's version apparently we finished with Jodie Comer's version which people have said is the strongest uh segment of the movie and I think this one is also pretty long I think it's like two and a half hours um but I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited for it. I mean, anytime really Scout has a historical epic come out, it'll be at least interesting in some way. Well, I guess his... except for Exodus, which was not, <laughs> or uh, whatever it was called, the Christian Bale, Joel Edgerton biblical epic. Yeah, um, I, I, I remember surprisingly liking his Robin Hood quite a bit. I was surprised mm-hmm. by how much I liked it, um, which, you know, it's not based on real history but it's a period piece um but, yeah uh, where Oscar I, Isaac plays King John yeah but, um, I, I, you could almost call his other movie a, a historical epic in the sense that it's you know uh, it's a period piece yeah House yeah. of Gucci also stars Adam Driver but also Lady Gaga Al Pacino Jared Leto mm-hmm. um that comes out I think Jeremy Irons Jeremy Irons um but that's not till I think I think November is when that's coming yeah, out they both come it's like i think the last time he had movies he had two come out in 2017 he had alien all Covenant the money in the world and all the money in the world uh but yeah so what else is coming out what's the other big giant science fiction movie what's the it'll be coming out the week after october 22nd we're gonna get dune which i'm pretty sure has already opened pretty much everywhere yeah. but america well it's playing uh, it, it premiered at one of the films was it venice venice yeah it- um, it's playing at the New York Film Festival in just a few days, mm-hmm. um, uh, based on the legendary Frank Unfilmable Herbert. Frank Herbert novel. They have filmed it uh, once David Lynch uh, directed <laughs> it, but did not get final cut. So it's yes. kind of a debacle. Uh, legendarily, Alejandro Jodorowsky, the Chilean film director, went to Hollywood and tried to get it made with an incredible cast and people behind the scenes going to star um salvador dolly and orson wells and gloria swanson and mick jagger was going to also have charlotte rampling right who's going to be in the new yeah one. and she is in the new yeah and uh 
originally it was going to be uh, music by Pink Floyd. There's a great documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune about his failed attempt to make the film. But we have the new one with uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve. And a huge cast of its own. Right. Uh, young uh, people such as Timothy Chalamet <laughs> and, and Zendaya. Zendaya. And then we have Oscar Isaac, Javier Josh Bardem, Brolin. Jason, Jason, Jason Momoa, David. Bath- Rebecca Jason. Ferguson, Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. And I am not generally a fan of these type of movies. Like the idea of a serious two hour and 30 something minute science fiction movie. I'm like, Ugh. but I really like, I really liked his Blade Runner sequel. I thought mm-hmm. that was like excellent. Um, and I'm like most of the movies I've seen of his and it's a great cast. And I like the idea of it being like a big adult serious science. Sort of art movie. house sci-fi. Yeah, the fact that it's art house makes it interesting. Like, yeah. you know, stuff like Star Wars and Star Trek and Guardians of the Galaxy, like space opera doesn't usually interest me, but this seems like a balancing. But also it's in the, the interesting house. position where this one needs to make money for you to get the second part of it, which has not been green lit. So it might end up only being one movie, even though it was envisioned as being two, depending on the box office of this first one. So yeah and uh denis villeneuve has been one of the strongest people coming out saying i don't like this being hbo max yeah yeah because it that might kill it not having a sequel if yeah it's true you know it's like this movie more than almost any movie this year people should go see it in the theater if they are comfortable and are able to yeah and from what i've heard it it seems like it will be a much less enjoyable experience if you do watch it at home because it's sort of meditative and sort of a slow burn it you know you might be tempted to like check your phone or pause it or something like that which might totally take you out of it and so i i highly recommend this you know we say that for all of them but you know i didn't watch malignant or crime macho in theaters and i didn't hate those but i think that this experience will be totally different if you don't see it in theaters i saw all three of my all three of the movies we reviewed in the theater you didn't see any of them in the theater nope I, uh, Dune has a 76 on Metacritic right now, which is quite strong, but not. There's some people that have said that it's overlong and kind of self serious. And I've seen I've seen some five star reviews, and I've seen some like one star reviews that are like this movie is so boring, nothing happens. Um, so I don't know. I kind of like that it's getting a, those different reactions. I think that actually is kind of a good sign. Um, right. I love. I I, I kind of run towards the movies. There's a handful that have a hundred and a zero rating on Metacritic. Have, <laughs> yeah. Like at least, yeah. Uh, there's one, movies that have you know a wide range of opinions. Malignant is one of them. I don't know that it, it didn't have a hundred. I think, but it has yeah. some you know pretty you know high you know eighty eighties something, on something like that. And then there's like very low rating. Yeah. But um, but yeah. Uh, there's also Last Night in Soho. Edgar mm-hmm. Wright's new film, his uh, first... Coming out just before Halloween, yeah. October 29th. Now, here's a question. Would you call Baby Driver a comedy? Is this his... I mean, this seems like his first, like, without question, not comedy. You know, non-comedy. Baby Driver... Baby Driver is definitely an action comedy. I mean, you've got the scene where, like, he says, bring the Mike Myers mask, and they bring the Austin Powers mask. Like, that's a comedy. Um, obviously, not every part in it is funny, but its tone is generally a little sort of more light. I would say this does not seem super light in tone. It actually yeah. seems pretty dark. This is um, a horror film that uh, 
I don't really want to know too much about it, but it seems like they are going between two different time periods. Yes, seems uh, very Roman Polanski, 60s, 70s sort of influence. Yeah, in A Repulsion, The Tenant, yeah. and um, Dario Argento, stylish, uh, yes. the st- stylistically, I would say. Um, the film stars uh, the young actresses, Thomason McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy. Also stars much older actors, Terrence Stamp and uh, Diana Rigg uh, mm-hmm. before she passed away. Rig or Riggs? Diana Rigg. I think I think it's yeah. singular. Uh, uh, best known to younger people probably for being in uh, Game of Thrones, but yes. was in the TV show The Avengers. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, just I was going to say, not that IMDb means you know everything in the world, but um, Baby Driver is not listed as a comedy on IMDb. But I would say, what's it listed as? An action? A action crime drama music thriller. It's not a drama. <laughs> I mean. It's not. I mean, there are dramatic parts in it, but you know, it's not like it's uh, uh, what's it called that uh, Nicholas Vending Refn um, drive drive. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not nearly as serious as something like that. Um, right now, last night in Soho only has a sixty-seven on Metacritic, which is kind of disappointingly low, but it's still in the green. Um, yeah. But it is uh, IMDb classifies it as a horror drama mystery thriller. Yes. I mean, um, it's, yeah, I know you're not into trailers, but the trailer. I have seen the trailer for it. I yeah. think the trailer looks pretty good. And it seems oh, yeah. like it might give away a little more than I would have liked, but, you know, maybe that's the misdirection. Um, right. I also think that um, one of the criticisms I've heard of the film for people that don't like it is that Edgar Wright is one of those directors that's so stylish and like every single cut and camera move is so designed that it feels just like, too much of a movie like artificial it feels like there's not like real human emotion which very much is not the case for uh those roman polanski 70s ones um they're very stylish but they're very uh rooted in like psychological stripped down and also not super colorful which this movie seems extremely colorful yeah Um, it looks like the the uh core the plot the uh themes of a Roman Plansky film with this style, the colors of a Dario Argento. Yes, film. that's actually a good way of putting it. Yeah, without having seen it, just from what it <laughs> yeah, appears just, to be. Yes, yeah. but, but that might be the one I'm most excited for because um, I've seen, I, I think, every Edgar Wright movie except for the one he made when he was like a child. Um, a fistful of fingers. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. has evolved a bit as a filmmaker from Shaun of the Dead um, to uh to uh baby driver and i think this one seems like by far his most mature movie having not seen it yeah Shaun of the dead is a horror comedy but this is his first like out and out straight up horror movie and he seems like someone who really loves the genre so um, he seems like one of the most cine literate filmmakers especially under 50 oh definitely yes um he's uh up there i would say with no uh, he had the, that podcast talking about theater experiences with quentin tarantino and was very much on the same sort of level in terms of film history knowledge as quentin tarantino who's someone who's and, 20 years older than him maybe uh yeah about that um no 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 10 years okay yeah he's only like 40 he's like about 46 47 tarantino okay. is like 58 but um yeah, he he got a he, he's really been catching up during the pandemic too. Like mm-hmm. he's been going through all the classics, like the earring of. Well, this uh, is Madden. also one that was supposed to come out last year, right? I think it's been done for a while. Yeah, um, 
but um, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by it. I've, I've also seen all of his films except that one. And I've seen all of them in a theater in their original release sent uh, from Hot Fuzz onward. Oh, and we didn't mention The French Dispatch, which also yes. comes out October 22nd, the new Wes Anderson movie. Who's, we can take uh, <laughs> a third of the episode to list the list cast. The cast. If we to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it basically it's like with his last like three films, it's like everyone that's ever been in one of his movies, and then add five, and then some more people. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, there's the usual like Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton and Jason Schwartzman, but some of the new ones. This one, Timothy Chalamet will have a big month because uh, he has Dune. It has uh, Timothy Chalamet. And uh, Benicio del Toro. Also, Leia Sedu is in this as well as uh, No Time to Die. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. The, Owen I'm Wilson certain... returns to being in a Wes Anderson movie, which I'm excited about. His first in uh, a, a few. I think yeah. his first maybe since uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Which he only did the voice for, but right. I don't know. Was he in Grand Budapest? I think was he, in... he had a cameo as one of the. Uh, whatever you call them at the different hotel. What was Ray Fiennes' position? He was like a concierge. Yes, yes. So he's in like the order of the keys or whatever, where you have like Bill Murray and a few other people in their different colored jackets (laughs) meeting up. (laughs) So he was barely in it, but he was in it. Yeah. Right. Um, And just one more uh, kind of an indie movie that I'm uh, certainly intrigued by because of the director, uh, Todd Haynes, the director of Uh, films such as Far From Heaven and Carol has a documentary, The Velvet Underground. Which he, is this his first documentary? I know that he's not especially known for that. Um, Yeah, this is his first uh, directed, documentary that he's directed at least, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but has uh, made a movie about artists before. He did the Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, many films he's. Did, and he also uh, did Velvet Goldmine, which right. is like a fictionalization of David Bowie and Iggy Pop. Right, and he also, uh, notably early in his career, did a biopic uh, superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, which is a forty-five minute film completely done with Barbie dolls. Wow, uh, which is actually one of his best films and it's never been released officially because he didn't get the rights to the music and the Carpenter family was not particularly happy with the movie. I can imagine. Uh, but it's actually like a sincere and thoughtful movie. It's like actually like if I were teaching a class on biopics, I would seriously show it because it's like really interesting how it's not just like, it's not at all making fun of her. It's like taking it seriously. Yeah, he's um, he did the the Far From Heaven, which is like a play on Douglas Sirk movies. So right. sort of like... Um, we're talking he's about Edgar Wright. He seems someone who's very aware of film history and is very aware of right. his influences. Yeah. Um, and he also did the film Velvet Goldmine, which is very much like it's not directly said, but it's, you know, David Bowie. It's yeah. that, you know, glam rock era. So he's, and uh, I think that, I don't know if it's the next film he's going to do, but I think for quite a while he's been trying to do a Peggy Lee biopic, um, another singer. So, um, but yeah. yeah. The Old Underground is probably one of the most important bands who have never had a documentary made about them. Um, and it's so I'm interested Apple. in it. Yeah, it's, it's Apple Plus, Apple. Yeah. which is the same people who are making Martin Scorsese's next movie, which, yeah, which I don't know what just... their release strategy is. I don't know if they're doing same day or two weeks or if they're even releasing them in theaters. So who knows? And um, I, I just saw I've been following the um, Native American group that where they've been filming like the Osage Mm-hmm. Uh, news and they just announced that he they finished filming it so i mean they could you know possibly have so much post-production due on the film it's not going to be released until like this time next year but yeah. i'm hoping that maybe it will come out in like january well not no not that early. 
no but like like in the first like like june or earlier you know the second quarter of the year right um i was just gonna say that the velvet underground uh premieres uh, has already premiered at film festivals uh played the new york film festival and it has an 88 on metacritic very yeah that's not surprising people love um artsy people love the velvet underground yeah um so uh (laughs) A number of films that are going to come out later but we'll talk about yeah. them when we do more episodes maybe so we'll probably review. probably a shorter gap between the next episode and, than there was for the previous one to this one because simply put better stuff is coming out and i'm gonna see more movies you yeah. you oh. never really take a break from seeing movies sometimes i do and i will go like well i teach i haven't seen as many i mean we, i saw the th- the three movie well i just saw 12 in new york but <laughs> before that like the pr- previous five weeks i think pretty much all i saw in a theater were the three that we reviewed and yeah. uh i hadn't i've seen very few films at home besides re-watching things for class i will say the biggest one the, the best film i saw at the festival the souvenir part two comes out october 29th oh uh, wow this uh, is so is this it, the biggest month in the history of cinema i don't no, know <laughs> no 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 it's like every day in the 70s there was amazing i guess stuff. so yeah but uh it, i was gonna say a24 is releasing souvenir part two as they released the first one yes um so uh i'm very uh, I, I i have seen the film and that has an insane rating it, it's like uh the souvenir part two um has a 98 on metacritic which is like makes it like one of the highest rated films ever on metacritic mm-hmm. Um, at least last time I looked, I've been looking up on, while we've been doing the episode now uh, what the current ratings are. But um, yeah, it's 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 like honestly one of the highest rated films ever. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. I've actually seen it, so uh, you should watch the souvenir part. Watch definitely watch the first one first. And the first one was on Amazon Prime last I checked. I don't know if it still is, but I would assume it's on it Canopy. Okay. Um, people have canopy, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, the the part two has a ninety eight, which is one of the highest ratings ever on Metacritic. Yeah. Um. So very yeah. exciting, very yes. exciting times to be living in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've uh, already said our piece about those three movies, very different movies: a horror film, a uh, drama western, and a card counter. It's like a drama bordering on almost a thriller. Yeah, say. it's like an sort of question. crime adjacent. Yeah, it's one of those films that it's 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 crime, but not really. It's like what they're doing is illegal. Some <laughs> of the stuff, but it's not like out and out like you. No, it's not like a heist movie. Um, right, but it's very much a character study and a good lead yeah. performance. Yeah, don't don't go into it expecting like an oceans movie. It's not like some <laughs> yeah. flashy. You know, it's or even it's, like uh, twenty one that uh, Harvard going to. Kevin Vegas. Spacey. Exactly. It's not like yeah. that either. Right. Um, all right. So we uh three very different movies, but uh, and uh, all of them are streaming now. Mm-hmm. And uh most of them will uh probably still be in a number of theaters. Prime Macho is not done well at the box office. It no, uh, it well. doesn't seem like people are screaming to get to see Crime Macho in theaters. Maybe the, a lot of the audience are older and they don't feel comfortable going to the theater and they don't know how to work HBO Max. So they don't <laughs> that honestly might be true. Yeah, but I was very happy to go with my friend Ray, who has seen every single film directed by uh, Clint Eastwood in a theater in its original release. Wow. So from Play Misty for me, uh, you know, every single one. So like I said, he's directed over 40 films now. So um, that's really cool that, you know, 
I, I don't want Eastwood to die anytime soon, but I hope Ray outlives him so that he can say he's seen everything. He saw everyone. Yeah. Well, I think that's, direct- a, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, well, closing, what's the director you've seen the most films by in a theater in their original release? Would you have any idea? No. I'm sure there are like a lot of people who are close. No, I don't think any of them would have been more than 10. Um, I have maybe. a few. I, I have, I'll, I'll tell you mine real quick. The, uh, I, <laughs> this is going to go on forever. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, uh, I've seen 14 Woody Allen, 13 Clint Eastwood, 11 Steven Soderbergh. Those are the ones I've seen double digits of in a theater in their original release. Yeah, I would have to think about it. I mean, it's it wouldn't be a ton for anybody. Um, he, who, uh, my favorite living director, David Lynch, how many films by him have I seen in the theater in the original release? Zero. Yeah, zero, because Inland yeah. Empire came out 15 years ago. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, there's so many good films. I'll add more to them. Uh, you know, the directors I've seen the most by, because there's films coming out by some of the best directors. Uh, and I don't even think about Oscars. It's stupid. That's not... <laughs> yeah, save that for 2022. Let's start I know. talking about that. It's like, during the pandemic, it seems like, who cares who wins Best Supporting Actors? You know, it's <laughs> no, that's, that's 100% true. But anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, We will be back with you next time.